you know, we might be very well on our way to having the longest church um, in Wallowa County. <laughs> the well, maybe both. Maybe both. Longest. I said the longest, but, you know, I, I might agree with you on the loudest, too, at times. You know, God is good, and I think, you know, our, our wanting to linger in the presence of the Lord shows the attitude of our hearts toward our spiritual life and our love for the Lord. God is good. Amen. I want to read here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 21 through 22. And this is, don't force it, get a bigger hammer. Don't force it, get a bigger hammer. When you're there, shout amen. We're there. Amen. Danny, good to see you, brother. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. I think that deserves a great amen. What a promise. What a promise of the Word of God. Right here in just a few verses. I think I could say this. If we had just these verses to live off of, to be inspired for the rest of your life, to glean the fullness of what God is actually saying, the enormity of what's meant in this Word, I think you could spend the rest of your life trying to discover it. As a matter of fact, I think we could safely say you will spend the rest of eternity understanding the fullness of the meaning behind these very words. I think it just grows greater and greater. As God is omnipotent, so our discovery is this everlasting pursuit to know and understand more the fullness of what God is saying to us. The gravity of what it means. The enormity of what it means in God's world. And so this is a different world than our own. It's, a, it's something other than what we are used to. But as we get this and taste and see that the Lord is good, this sense of eternal satisfaction enters on our soul and our heart, and we know that God is greater and greater and greater because of what He's revealed in us. I want to share a couple things, a few things with you that I think is expressed in these verses, or in, yeah, in these two verses. One is this: God has the power to guarantee the impossible. God has the power to guarantee the impossible. He says this when Jesus makes the statement, "Assuredly, I say to you." Assuredly, or we could use the word assurance with an assurance, with a sense of certainty. There's a guarantee given in the Word of God. And only God can guarantee the impossible. Only God. But we've already, right now, before the beginning of the service, already kind of went from God doing the impossible. You know that restoring relationships in so many cases is an impossibility. And only God can bring them together. We know that God's healing to our backs and bones and parts of our body is a thing that only God can do. I am so grateful that I got to be in the relationship with a man by the name of Tom Cox when I was in Walla Walla. And he shared his story 
of a man who was unsaved, unconverted, and didn't know the Lord. He didn't go to church or anything else, but he walked up one day because a woman invited him to church, and he walked up to the front and he was prayed for. He was prayed for over his cancer. And he said in his testimony, he said, I felt from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet this warmth rushed through my body. He said, I knew instantly I was healed. That man went back to the doctor and just like Don was sharing with us, the doctor said, you have no more cancer left in your body. But you know, as, as great of a miracle as that was, it was the sense this man has totally rearranged his life. This miracle changed the way that he looked at God. This miracle changed the way that he looked at his world. This miracle changed him from the inside out and made him a whole new man. He didn't want to cuss anymore. He didn't want to say the same old dirty jokes anymore. He didn't want to live for the same purpose anymore. He was a new man in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And I was watching it happen in front of my eyes. Literally, God take a sinful, darkened soul and totally regenerate him and make him brand new. What an awesome thing to see that in this man's life. And others I could share with you, but him I just wanted, I felt this sense. And so God was the one that can give this guarantee to an impossibility. Somebody say that's impossible. And that's perfect because that's what we want you to say. We want you to say that's impossible. So now we can give all the credit back to God. When it's done that He gets the credit, nobody else does. Anybody loving this sermon already? I'm loving to preach it. There is no cannot with God. There isn't anywhere in the Bible that we read a cannot when it comes to God. I cannot do that. Now there may be times when God says He will not because there are conditions that's not the best under the circumstances. But it's not because He cannot. And I remember a guy in my life one time, he had shared with me that his struggle with panic attacks. I don't know if you've been into that, struggled with panic attacks. But if you ever have, you would know what he was talking about. But as he shared this, one of the struggles that I had with him was to help him understand that God was bigger than all of that. That God was greater than that. And I remember him using this one word when he spoke to me and he said, but. And I said, there are no buts with God. There's no buts. He doesn't have a, well, but. It's either it is going to be or it's not going to be as far as God is concerned. It's black and white. I remember when I was a young person, uh, I was in youth group, and I had a youth preacher try and tell me that there's gray areas with God, and I just didn't believe it. I had a hard time with that. I said, it's either black or white. Either God says yes to it or he says no. It's not this gray area that we do. We struggle with it because we don't discern well, but God knows where we need to be at. And here we have God has no inabilities also. That's why He can give us guarantees of the impossibility because He has no inability. Isn't that awesome to know that right now, right where you're at, not even just you, but all the people you care about, the people you love, God has no inability. But they don't believe right now. It's still not an inability with God to convince them, to show them. We read the story of Saul on the road to Damascus, and nobody's more bloody and more ready to stop the gospel in his tracks than the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle and Saul. And he's doing everything he can to end this. And while he's on the road to stop it, God stops him, blinds him, and speaks to him. 
And that man from that day forward is turned around from the rest, for the rest of his life. And we have the greater part of our New Testament to be thankful for because of that testimony. It's an inspired word of God. God inspired through it. So God has no inability. So he can reach the most incapable, the most unlikely, and the most impossible. And you just go right now. I would, I would say for everybody in this place, think of the person you're like, they're the farthest from God and they're the farthest from being a good soul there ever was. Just think of who that is. Imagine them. And now remember, there's no inabilities with God. No inabilities. In Luke chapter 18, verse 27, he says this. Go ahead and write it down if you want to. We gave you some, if you got a bulletin, you got the note card. Feel free to, to write that down. Luke 18, verse 27. But he said, the things which are impossible. You know what? Tina and I didn't consult with the songs that we're going to be saying today. But in one of our songs, we just had this scripture. We've been praying this scripture. It's been the highlight, the theme of our time together. He says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. I would say, take that, home, that scripture home with you and pray over that. And pray over that and pray over that. Just let the Lord make that as real as real can be to you. So how much power does God use? This one thought came to my mind when God created the universe and He said, let there be. And in one moment, there was darkness over everything. And then when God says, let there be, there's light. When God says, speaks it, it's done. In a moment, in a second, it's done. But how much power does God use in order to do that? When you have infinite power and infinite omnipotence, think about this. There are no, you're not using a great, a great amount of power to do anything. And the reason I say that is because there's another reason why God can guarantee the impossible. Because He has infinite power to do so. I don't know what kind of prayer life we have in this place. I don't know what you're thinking about it. Like, what if I pray just another two or three more minutes a day? What if I gave myself just a little bit more time with the Lord? Just realize who you're giving your time to. Just realize that if you just gave another five more minutes, maybe another hour of that time, this is the God that you're praying to is a God who has no inabilities and completely full of power. So when He does something in your life, He doesn't have to use a great access of power to be able to do it. He just says, let there be, and He does it. He doesn't lift any heavy weights to manage the world. He does it with ease. How many of you believe that today? Amen. Number two, I find in these verses... This thought. So the first one is God has a power to guarantee the possible. The second is certainty belongs to the people of God. He makes this statement. You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will also say to this mountain. So you will do and you will say. Now this certainty belongs to the people of God. Jesus was saying, most assuredly, I say to you that you will do this and you will say this. Now imagine 
the, the, all of this here, and this certainty belongs to you and me. Now, this is the thing. I believe a lot of people are struggling with that. But it's not because Jesus didn't make it plain. It's not because Jesus didn't say it just as plainly as we needed it. So here's one of my thoughts as I was thinking about this. God doesn't give false hopes. You know, maybe, you've, maybe you or somebody you know has walked through a lifetime of shattered hope. Somebody had made promises to them and broken maybe half of them or every single one of them. And it is one difficult uh, task for you to get to the place where you believe somehow that there's somebody in your world that isn't going to give you a false hope. That isn't going to tell you something that isn't going to come to pass. Isn't going to say something and later walk away and take it away from you. Or give you half of what He promised to deliver. But when we look at God, we have to remember when we're praying and drawing near to Him that He hasn't given us false hopes. When we read in the immensity of the promises He's given and all the things that He's trying to say to us, every one of them are secure. Perfectly secure. And God wants us to know that. He wants us to pray with that sense of certainty. This is a security. I don't have security in this physical body because it's perishing. I don't have security in my car even though it drives down the road. Tomorrow it might break down or in a year from now. You might buy it brand new and it might break down before you get out the parking lot. Everything we know of in our life seems to have this fleeting hope. But in Jesus is eternal life. And Jesus made the statement, and I love this, He says, I am life. And the more we know Him, the more we know life. And if anything, this, the heart of this preacher is saying, just delve in. Draw in. I know you might feel like you've had the fullness or time in past, but we haven't touched the surface yet. We haven't even got there close. Because Jesus wants to do more. Here's a, just a scripture for you. Because just in case you're not convinced, by some chance, you're not convinced that God doesn't give false hopes and that certainty belongs to the people of God, we want to read Numbers 23, verse 19. Numbers 23, verse 19. Shout a hallelujah when you get there. Amen. I'm still waiting for my hallelujahs. Amen. We got a low voice over there. <laughs> Numbers 23:19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he will, uh, has he not said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? I love that promise. That one I carry with me all the time. Hold on to that one. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man. Somehow we've got to peel back the layers of what humanity has done to us and get to the place of recognizing what God is doing for us. God never breaks a promise. So God never gives false hopes. God never breaks a promise. In Joshua 23, verse 14, you're not too far from there. Joshua 23, verse 14. I love this one. Oh, I love this one. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. How many of you knew what this verse was before I pointed it out here? Okay, so this is going to be good. It's fresh. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts, so this is Joshua speaking, and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. So he says this, not one thing has failed. All has come to pass. So God never breaks a promise. God makes a promise. He keeps His promises. So here we see this. Your inability to trust God does not limit God's capability to bring deliverance. It's just your ability to receive it. I want to give you a quote from um, Smith Wigglesworth. He says this, There is nothing impossible with God. All the impossibility is with us when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. Our unbelief. You know, I know what it's like to have somebody in front of you and you're praying, and specifically you're looking for a miracle, and there's that, that inner sense, I'm not sure if I completely believe God's going to do this right now. I think one of the reasons why I would say that is because in part we're like, am I infringing on God what I want? Is this my compassion trying to push God into my corner? Or is God wanting to do this? Am I discerning the will of God in the moment or am I discerning my will at the moment? Because I can guarantee we all want to see other people's goods for our own particular reasons. And so it's a battle to discern between this good and my compassion and this is God's will aside from my compassion. And so sometimes we get stuck in this piece the other piece is, we're like, is this the best thing for their life? In the long run, if they were to get a miracle, would you know how people are. They get money and all of a sudden they start running toward the world. They're like, when you were poor, you were better off than when you were rich. When all of a sudden you got the good thing, you didn't become better. And so I don't know if this is the best thing. And so we begin to have these struggles when we're beginning to pray for miracles. Is this the right time? Is this the right situation. Are they going to be embedded by this or not? And so we don't know those oftentimes, and so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we can't see. But we see this, that the limitation has to do with our unbelief, but not God's ability. Isaac said this the other day, my son Isaac. Thank you, son, for sharing that. He's like, what are you talking about? He said... He was talking about some game that he was playing, but he said it was like the game was rigged. And, and I had kind of, I'd already kind of finished up my sermon, but I thought, wait a second. Isn't that, isn't that the way this already is? God's rigged the game. He's already made sure that he's got the winning team. He made sure that in the end that he's not going to lose. The game is already rigged, and if you can think of it like that, there's really not really much of a reason to be discouraged. Because no matter what, I'm going to win. I'm on the victory's end. And I'm going to share something else because I think because of that, we, we move to this next point and there's this sense of limited, limitlessness comes with union 
to omnipotence. Limitness, limitlessness, I almost can't even say it, comes with a union to omnipotence. See, some people think that because it's the power of your mind or the power of Mother Earth or whatever else, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on, that we're going to get to where we need to be. But what we're missing here is, is that none of that is omnipotent. Mother Earth isn't omnipotent if you want to talk about Mother Earth or the power of your mind or your ability to think positively doesn't have a, a limitlessness to it. But the omnipotence of God does. And I think Jesus is highlighting the fullness of God through the way that He's talking. He's kind of giving you no reason for excuse to have no faith. He's not giving you permissiveness to excuse yourself from being able to be a faithful disciple, to look at life as if you don't have what you need and everything beyond that. And so here we have that in these words when Jesus made this statement in these, these few verses in Matthew chapter 21, verses 21 through 22. He says, Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. I don't know if you've wrestled with that, but I have. I've wrestled with that. Is that really that true? Lord, I, I'm not trying to cast any doubt on it, but for me, if that's really that true, then I've been missing out. I'm short on the game. I'm not getting in on... I'm, the, I'm kind of cheering on the side. I didn't get on the game. Something's bothering me about this. So whatever you ask, this limitlessness, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you receive. Because the prayer is the connection with God. So I'm going to, I got to grab something real quick. If you just give me a second. <laughs> We're going to get back to the title of this sermon. Now, I was looking for my sledgehammer and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find that sledgehammer. But I found something I figured would replace. When I worked... When I worked in Walla Walla, one of the things that was the guy that I worked with made that statement, don't force it, get a bigger hammer. Get a bigger hammer. You know, when you're hammering a finish nail, this one works great. It's way better than this one. But when you've got something that's impossible and that you can't tackle because it's so big, you need something bigger. And I, I love the idea of don't force it, get a bigger hammer, because the idea is, this is not how many swings you take, but how powerful those swings are. How mighty they are. The Apostle Peter, he said, such as we have, we give you, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You know, Peter didn't take many swings on that one, did he? He didn't throw out many punches. He threw out one solid punch that was a final knockdown to all hell's forces and broke the force of darkness because he was living with God. Because he was living near to the Lord. And there's a difference from Jesus being an idol, Jesus being an idea, Jesus being a theology, and Jesus being my living reality. And when He becomes my living reality, He becomes the force in my life. He's the power behind the words that I say because they're not my own anymore. They're His. And somehow He's able to work through me and speak His words, and do His things. And Peter had it on that day of Pentecost. Peter experienced that fullness of God 
for Himself. And Jesus made the statement to His disciples and He said, you will be endued with power from on high. You'll be endued with power. And that power will make you witnesses to the ends of the earth. There's nothing going to stop you until the day I call you home. Nothing's going to stop you. So don't force it. Get a bigger hammer. I feel like that's what Jesus was saying in these verses. It's don't waste your time swinging and swinging and swinging with this little mallet that's not going to get anywhere. I remember on that same job, it was, it was one of those things. It took a talent. But that same man, his name was Bob, and he, we, he'd, have you, he'd be working on a cat or something, big piece of machinery, and he'd have you hold on to about a solid bar that looked about like this. And you'd put it up against something, and you were the dummy that was holding the thing. And he was the, he was the man with the, he was the man not with the little, you wanted him to have the little claw hammer in that situation. Because you're like, if you miss once, I'm going to regret this the rest of my life. But he took that thing with the sledgehammer in full swing. And he swung that thing like a baseball bat. And he'd hit that thing every single time. And I didn't have a problem watching somebody else hold that thing. Because I was like, he's a man. He can, he can fail. He can miss at some point. But this is the thing. God doesn't just give you the hammer. God does the swinging for you. God, that's what Peter said. He says, this isn't by our own power or holiness. This is because of His faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus swung the hammer and hit the thing right on the head. And all of a sudden there was a miracle that was done. And everybody looked on. And they, they looked at Peter. And Peter said, no, no credit to me. No credit to me. I love this because this is you and me. This is us. I remember having a friend in, uh, when I was in elementary school. His name was Ryan Sams. And Ryan was like this to me. And he was only one, he was only one grade ahead, but he was like towered over everybody that was in his grade and in mine. I remember one day I was walking home from school and there was two boys that were stronger, bigger, and meaner than me. And I didn't have much of a mean streak in me at the time. I never have. But he had, they, they were of the mindset that they were going to jump me. I had never in my life thought that I would ever see that day, especially what were they going to get from me. But that wasn't the matter of the fact. It was, the, it was serious talk. And I remember one of them making this statement. He's Ryan's friend. Don't mess with him. He's Ryan's friend. Don't mess with him. See, a lot of people want to claim their rights to God's gifts, but they're not letting God have His claim on them. And that's the difference. See, I belong to Jesus. And if I belong to Jesus, the devil doesn't have an authority. But if you don't belong to Him, He has an authority. He's pretty big, and He's strong enough to do the job. And if you're not walking in union and relationship and friendship to Jesus, you don't have what you need. So I want to look at Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. We're talking about limitlessness comes with union to omnipotence. Jesus made the statement, you could do nothing to Pilate. You could do nothing to me except my Father had granted you the power. Isn't that ours too? <clears throat> Isn't the same Jesus guarding us that was guarded in His time? Amen. Amen.
Are you there yet? Hallelujah. We've got two people that are there. We're Acts chapter 19, 11 through 16. This is God's Word. Are you there yet? Amen. Okay, we got it. Now, God worked unusual miracles. I think you guys are reading it ahead of me. That's what's going on here. You get there, and then you don't tell me. And then you've already read it. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. I want you to catch this last part. And evil spirits went out from them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, exorcists, took it upon themselves to call the name of on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We ex- exercise, I guess I'm going to call it that, you by the uh, Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief, ch- chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom, now I want you to catch this, the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So this is the thing. They didn't walk in union with the God that they were trying to use His name. See, this is the thing. Some people think if I just use the right name, I'm going to have the power. But it's that you have to live in union. You have to be married too. Now, when we get the marriage vows, marriage vows say this, and I love this, this thought. Marriage says, I'm burying my life in yours. I'm now no longer my own. We are now one. Now, you can make those vows, and you can live the rest of your life living the opposite of those vows. But when you live those vows, you do actually become one with your wife and with your husband. And as a result of that, here we see Jesus is saying, you've become one with me. And Paul became one with me. Jesus was one with the Father. And because of that oneness and that undivided union, they had the limitlessness of the power of God to back But these men didn't. And you realize when I told you to catch these two things, Paul cast out the evil spirits. These men were overcome by them. And so that's the difference of the relationship that we talk about with Jesus. The biggest concern we should have is, where am I with the Lord right now? I'm going to give you one more quote from, as I'm closing here, from Smith Wigglesworth. You must every day make higher ground. You must deny yourself to make progress with God. You must refuse everything that is not pure and holy. Wow. Thank you, brother. Right? God wants you pure in heart. He wants you to have an intense desire after holiness. Two things will get you to leap out of yourselves into the promises of God today. One is purity, the other is faith. 
which is kindled more and more by purity. I am so glad I read that. I am so glad I got that. Because some people are just trying to stir up purity, I mean, stir up faith with no purity. The purer you become, the more faith you're going to have. God grows that faith. It doesn't just naturally happen, but it does spiritually happen. I love that thought. We're going to close with those in mind as we prepare for our communion time. I want you to think about not only how great God is, but where are we at? Where are you at personally? in your relationship with Him. That doesn't, and it's by no means for me not to take consideration of myself. It's all of us individually take time to consider where we are with the Lord. With the Lord. And as you do, I want to um, take the time of communion, and as we usually do, I give you the ability to make that decision. So what I don't generally do is pass the elements to everybody. And the reason I don't, is because the Bible tells us to judge ourselves and to not eat and drink unworthily. Um, It is our privilege to be able to um, drink and eat of the communion elements to remember what the Lord has done in sacrifice. And Jesus made the statement, whatever you've done in remembrance of me, do this as 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 often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So he wants us to do it but he also doesn't want us to do it lightly. So I give you that time because some people have expressed to me, they said, I don't feel comfortable or I'm not ready or I need more time. And I look at, this is the time for you. This is your personal time with Jesus. And so I just want to give you that option. So I will, I'm going to come down and open up for the elements just as we normally do. But I just want you guys to take the time to look at yourself, to examine yourself as the scripture tells us to do and see if you're ready to take it. And when you are, please do. But we just want to, we want to remember there's a sobriety to this, this time with the Lord. And also, I want this to be your intimate time with Jesus. Sometimes people are in those moments with tears. Be respectful as people are just shedding those emotions that come with their closeness and their love to the Lord. Let's go ahead and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to ask for our worship team to come up again um, as we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24, actually starting at verse 23. For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread 
or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I want to close in my time in prayer here, but I just want you to take that time with the Lord. Father, thank you today, Jesus, that the, the bread represents your body that was broken on the cross as the only perfect sacrifice, sinless sacrifice for the sins which I have committed and the sins which we here have committed today. Lord, that every single sin was placed on you. Everything we have done in unfaithfulness and transgression to you, Lord, was on you, and you suffered in our place. Jesus, it was your blood that was poured out as the perfect blood to cleanse us and wash us so that we could be guilt-free, that we could be right with you, Today we don't take that lightly. That means everything to us, Lord. And Father, with an utmost reverence, we just ask you, Father, to help us take this, receive it as you meant for us to, and remember all that you've done. Lord, your gift is greater than anything we know, and we are grateful for it. Jesus, we give you the praise, and we love you. Amen. So I'm going to come down, and as you feel the Lord lead you to, just come down and receive the elements.